Welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, where we talk to great bosses and those who build great bosses about what it takes to be a great boss. And now, here is your host, the founder and CEO of Boss Builders, Mac Monroe. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. This is your host, Mac Monroe. As the boss, you've probably realized already it takes a great deal of courage to get out there and do an awesome job. Our guest today is going to talk to us about the courage it takes to be a great leader. Our guest is Mike Staver. He's the CEO of the Staver Group. He's an author, speaker, consultant, and coach. The author of the book, Leadership Isn't for Cowards. Michael talked to us about the courage it takes to lead. He'll give you some great examples of things you can do, some great step-by-steps, and more importantly, talk to you about why it's important to really identify who you are and bring that authentic self to your leadership. So with no further delay, let's meet our guest, Mike Staver. Mike Staver, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Max. It's great to be here. Yeah, Mike, it's interesting. I, I met you years and years ago. I won't tell anybody where that is, but <laughs> you, you have a very interesting background, and I, I want to talk to you a lot about your book and get your perspective on leadership. But before I do that, I was hoping maybe you could share a little bit of your background with the audience and kind of tell us uh, why you do what you do and, and what you do. Yeah, I, uh, my undergrad's in business, and I went through a, a kind of a sticky, messy divorce in my 20s. And I was uh, I was pretty much a jerk, really, which my mom pointed out to me. So she said she'd go to she'd pay for me to go to counseling if I went. So I did, and ended up reading a book by Scott Peck called "The Road Less Travel." It totally changed the course of my life and what I believed about people and the world. And so I went back to grad school and got a degree in in psych and did some work around that. And then one day, almost by accident, I was asked to do a workshop, and there was somebody in that workshop who came up to me, it was only two hours and said, you could do this for a living. And I said, do what? And they said, you could, you could talk for a living. I'm like, you can talk for a living. I wish my first grade teacher knew that. And when she put me in the hall and told me to stop talking, I'd never amount to anything. And so that's kind of how it started. We started doing some keynotes and then uh, took some of the site background and created a coaching practice. And so now I'm very fortunate to do um, keynotes and coaching, some facilitation as well, and obviously some writing, which kind of comes with it. That's great. Well, the book is titled um, Leadership Isn't for Cowards. And and I read the book, actually, I listened to the book. And one of the things that stood out right away was this line in your book. And it says that you're messing with people's lives. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a that's the that's really the epicenter of my uh, uh, belief about any kind of leadership, and it's not just for uh, entry level supervisors or CEOs, but it's for parents, it's for anybody that influences anybody to understand that this notion of being in a position of influence as it relates to other human beings is a big deal, and that we'll spend most, particularly at work, we'll spend most of our time in our life at work with somebody who allegedly is leading us. And so I wanted to drive this point home that it's not just about getting the widget out or getting the project completed or being in alignment with budget or achieving your goals. All of that's clearly critical, but it's also about the notion that these are human beings and that we are messing with their lives and their futures and their influence. And all of us, I'm sure all your listeners and I, you you and I could talk for hours about 
either bosses we've had or bosses we've worked with who who didn't take that seriously. And so it's a contrast between messing with people's lives versus messing up people's lives. Yeah, it sounds like it's a huge responsibility. I get asked this one a lot because people say, well, your company's boss builders. Don't you do leadership? And what about managers? So I want to ask you, your, your book is about leadership. Can you tell us your definition of leadership? What is it to you? Yeah. To me, leadership is influencing another person or group of people to achieve results beyond which they think they're currently capable. So influencing a person or group of people to achieve results beyond which they think they're capable. I'm not sure people need a leader to be able to do the things necessary to get the job done every day. But all of us need somebody in our life that influence us either by direction or by inspiration to achieve things beyond which we either believe we're capable or have the confidence to achieve. And so this notion of leadership to me is married very closely to influence. And then that coupled with beyond something I'm currently capable of, I think is the total picture of leadership. No, it's a really great definition. It's, it's different than a lot of the ones I've heard. Because you see leadership that way, where do you think we are today in business and industry with leadership? Do you think there's anything missing or are we sort of headed in the right direction? I do think it. I do think there are things that are missing. I uh, a lot of the work that we do with companies and individuals is helping people understand number one how to solve their everyday problems so we can extract the pain that they feel right now. But but on another level, um, I ask this question of leaders all the time: Why is a person following you? Why? Well, I, I actually it's a different question. Why should a person follow you? Do you have any clarity about that other than you have some expertise or you have some experience? And so. Um, I think people who are aligned with a clear and compelling reason to be followed, uh, who live in alignment with their values and a sense of purpose, are much more followable in the bigger picture. And so I think there are places, are pockets where we're leading in and leadership is moving in the right direction. But I still think there's a there are certain elements of people who think it's all about the revenue, it's all about the PL, just get the job done. And and uh, it's hard, right? Mac, I mean, it's hard for you and I to argue that some leaders do a very good job of creating successful companies without philosophy. I just don't think it's sustainable. No, I can't imagine it would be either. Because again, you bring somebody to work who's having personal issues and stressing about that. The, the profit and loss of the company is not foremost on the mind. And so it sounds like you're even thinking more on the relational aspect of what the boss, the leader, we call them at Boss Builders, the boss. But the leaders doing, you know, you mentioned that you've worked with a lot of groups as you kind of think back on some of the clients and the audiences you've worked with. Um, what are some things you've learned about leadership from them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think it would be hypocritical of me to go out there and think I have all the answers. I barely have an answer, much less all the answers. Um, I, I've learned a couple of things. Probably one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned from my audiences over the years is um, we never quite know and are never quite certain of the totality of the circumstances that a person's dealing with that, you know, I could be pretty insightful and I have a pretty robust coaching practice. Just this morning, I was on the phone with an executive in New York. And as I was talking to her, she started revealing some things about her life that I had no idea about. And so one of the things that my audience is, whether it's one person or group continually teaches me is, 
don't ever believe you know the whole story, even when you think you know the whole story. That's one of them. Uh, the second thing that I've learned, which is uh, very humbling to me, is just because it's easy to me and just because it's obvious to me doesn't mean it's easy or obvious to somebody else. And I think that's really, really important because I found myself over the years thinking I sometimes I'd underplay a piece of content because I'm like, anybody knows this. And then I started realizing just because I know it or just because it's easy for me doesn't mean it's easy for them. Just because what seems obvious to me isn't necessarily obvious to them. I think that's the second thing. And then the third thing that I've learned is that really paying attention to somebody else matters all the time. I, I cannot tell you the numbers of times where not because of any talent, but just probably luck. When I just paused and really took some time concentrating and focusing on the person right in front of me at the end of an event or on the call, how valuable that is to people. Not because it's Mike Staver, but just because human be I just, my last blog was about, are you intentional in your relationships? And that focus is largely going away in our world. We're largely onto the next transaction, onto the next project, onto the next thing. And that one-to-one -one stuff still matters. And it's both heartening and sobering to know that audiences still need that, whether it's an audience of one or audience of 1,000. Well, you know, thinking about that now, looking forward, I'm, I'm interested in your take on the future, uh, specifically when you look at the demographics, and I'm seeing it in some of my clients too, that they're losing a big portion of their workforce over the next few years just to retirement and transition. And then there's, there's a, a larger generation, I think, of people call some millennials, and there's one behind it, I think, iGen. But based on what you have seen and based on what you see now, are you hopeful about the next generation of leaders? I mean, I'm, I may be one of the few people that is, and here, here's why. I, I am always hesitant. Well, I'm not always hesitant. I always rigorously avoid the tendency to make big generalizations about large groups of people. I'm, I am very optimistic, but, but in order for us to create the future set, and we don't create them, but in order for us to enhance or support the future leaders, we're going to have to uh, give them room to fail, give them room to learn, but also know that perhaps this isn't your grandpapa's leadership style or leadership methodology. Perhaps if we get the fundamentals and basics down um, of caring about people and focusing on things and being rigorous in the achievement of results uh, and then and help people build their own, uh, their own style around that would probably be very helpful. Um, I mean, I was talking, actually, my stepson from a previous mistake and I were talking recently. This guy is phenomenal. He's aggressive. He's hustling. He travels all over the world. He's in the video business for a big organization called Ultra Rock Festivals. And I don't know if I know a person that works any harder, is any more diligent or paying any more attention. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very helpful. That's great. Well, I'm thinking that your book is an outstanding resource for someone who's getting in that role. And so I'd like to ask you some questions about the book. The first one is, when you decided to write it, what were you hoping to accomplish with it? You know, there are more leadership books written out there and more stuff on the shelves than ever. And I really resisted a long time. I mean, it took a, it took a, a gang of people to finally say, get your butt in there and write. Um, 
And what I really wanted to accomplish was I wanted people to read the book and be surprised that it was good. Uh, and what I mean by that is I wanted people to read it and go, wow, this actually is going to help me right now. This is actually, when I go back to work, going to help me do something better. It was easy to read. It was practical. It wasn't all a bunch of corporate speak. That's what I was hoping to accomplish, that we take complex ideas, make them real and practical that'll help people immediately. Yeah, well, it was everything and more when I did it. I did it uh, actually listening on a long drive. And so, you know, as I was listening, I was actually, which is probably illegal, but I was I was actually emailing voice-wise some things that I heard in your book to myself to just kind of note it. And then I wanted to ask you about it. Um, you tell some really funny stories and I'm not going to ask you to tell them because I want people to buy the book, but I would encourage you if you're listening, buy the audio book because Mike can tell a great story. But, but some of the things that stood out, which I emailed to myself was you had mentioned something in the book about styles of leadership. There was the scientific and then there was the artistic. Can you talk about what those are? Yeah. So years and years and years of just working with leaders and observing companies and, and nonprofits and all kind of organizations function. What I noticed was that people in positions of influence, actually, even in relationships, this is true in personal relationships. It's true in business. It's true in nonprofits. It's true in communities and churches and is that we all sort of have a bias. And so the science has to do with the nuts and bolts of your job, right? It's do you produce enough widgets? Do you get the widgets out the door on time? Are customers happy? It's all those things that we do every day to make sure the machinery runs. And that's the science. The art are things like uh, communicating, solving problems, uh, playing well with others, doing the things that drive the, the effectiveness. So we can do a lot around efficiency in our daily jobs. But are you really effective as a leader is the question that I think we have to ask. And I think effectiveness is largely born out of um, the art side. Uh, although there's efficiencies and all that kind of stuff, I'm just wondering how much we pay attention. And most of us lean one way or the other. But here's the fascinating thing I found in my practice and in my company over the years. Most people get hired for the science competency and they get fired for the artistic incompetency. So I get, I might come because my resume is strong and my skill set strong and my ability to, to drive production is strong. But if I don't have the art right, it's likely that I'm going to get fired. Now, there may be some exceptions for the superstar salesperson. They may get tolerated a little longer, but ultimately I think people get hired for the science and fired for a lack of art. Well, the science piece I get, you are either naturally wired for technical skills or you can learn those in college or a trade school. Now, how is somebody who's weak in the artistic side going to get that? Is there training programs for that? I mean, what would you recommend for someone that wakes up and says, I realize I'm a scientific person. I have nothing on the artistic side. What would you recommend? Well, um, emotional intelligence has been a little overbeaten over the last 18 years, but I think any of those uh, online courses or the books or any of that are always helpful because, you know, social awareness, personal awareness um, is so very important. Uh, the other thing I would do is find a good coach. You know, um, most people who have, first of all, everybody should have a coach. I don't, you know, I mean, uh, tennis stars, golf pros, athletes all have coaches, but 
the point is that I think that's a big thing because it's somebody who's a safe person that can help you develop those skills. So ironically, again, it's the science of learning what it means. Are you self-aware? Are you socially aware? Are you able to relate well, play well with others and understanding the nuts and bolts of how to do that? And then secondly, actually getting out there and practicing doing it. But you got to be willing to be uncomfortable, right? I, somebody told me one time, uh, I'm just not, I know you think gratitude is important. and I know you think um, uh, this artistic side is important. I'm just not a touchy-feely person. And I said, it's not touchy-feely to say thank you. It's not touchy-feely to listen to another person. That's your job. So if they want to start with one thing, as soon as this podcast is over, just be more grateful and listen to people. That's a great place to start. Just say thank you when somebody does something or I appreciate what you did or how you did it um, goes a long way towards starting to build that strength. Well, that's great because it doesn't sound like I'm going to have to go to a five-day retreat where we're right. walking on hot coals on our bare feet. It sounds like <laughs> start small, which is yeah. which is great. Now, it suggests to me getting out there and doing something uncomfortable. And so, you know, you talk a lot of in your book about courage. So I'm wondering if you can define what courage means to you and why does a manager need to start thinking more about that? Yeah, you know, courage isn't necessarily, you know, picking up a fire hose and charging into a fiery building, although that's certainly courageous. Courage to me is a very personal thing. In other words, it's the extent to which I'm able to take a step outside where I'm comfortable. For some people, just walking into a room full of strangers and introducing yourself to a person's courageous. For another person uh, doing what I just suggested, which is just look at another human being that's working with you and saying, I want you to know I appreciate what you did, is courageous because it makes us uncomfortable or vulnerable. Me expressing gratitude is not uncomfortable. But I've got a friend who it's very uncomfortable for. So I use the acronym uh, continuing onward under rigorous and grinding experiences. That is, how do I press through the next thing, even though everything inside of me is screaming, I don't want to press onward, right? I don't want to move onward. So just what is what I would just encourage your listeners to think of what is one or two things I could do today? Maybe it's apologizing to your kid when you're not an apologizer. Maybe it's acknowledging somebody's hard work at work and telling me you appreciate them. Maybe it's going into your boss and saying, it's been two years since I had a performance review. I'd like to have a rigorous performance review and talk about compensation. I don't know what it is, but I think every, I believe everybody in their heart knows there's one thing that if they took a little step toward that in that direction, uh, it would start to expand their belief about what they're capable of. Well, I like that. Because I'm, I can tell you, my audience, the groups I work with, this is what I get. Mac, I'd love to do it, but I, I'm just too busy. I'm, I'm too yeah. busy, and so this is great. Taking a few minutes and practicing just new ways of addressing people sounds like a, a great start, and maybe even like trying to start a new habit a little bit with many goals makes a big difference. So exactly right. Thank you. You also in the book talk about a couple of important values. One of them is being authentic and the other is accepting responsibility. You listed those two. Why do you think those two are so important? Well, <laughs> I think authenticity is important because it's my number one core value and I had the opportunity to write about it. So I did. Um, I was having coffee with somebody yesterday uh, who's young in the business in the speaking, coaching and human development business. And we were talking about the nuances of authenticity and that, you know, you can be an authentic jerk and that's not a badge of honor, 
So authenticity is important because we live in a world of fakery. We live in a world of its appearance is what matters most. I had lunch, uh, excuse me, I had uh, a couple of days ago, had a breakfast with somebody and they, and I know them very well, but very few other people do because they largely feel like they have to be a certain way. So um, I'm always cautious about authentic because some people go, well, this is just the way I am. That's not what authenticity is. The definition, Mac, of authenticity, which I think is a great definition, is being actually and precisely as presented. Isn't that a great definition? Being actually and precisely as presented. So are you who you say you are? Do you show up? If you say you care about people, do you show up caring about people? If you say that this is true, do you show up like that's true? So that's the first thing. You know, if God, the universe, whatever people believe in or don't, came to me at the end of my life and said, I'm going to grant you one wish as you lay here in your last minutes of life that you could change the world, what would it be? It would be personal responsibility. Here's why. We live in a world of people who largely want to blame. And personal responsibility has to do with this. I tell young leaders and CEOs all the time, you're going to create one of two kinds of cultures. You're going to create a culture of blame or you're going to create a culture of responsibility. If you create a culture of blame, you're creating a culture of punishment, either real punishment or verbal punishment or behavioral punishment. But blame always has attached to it the notion of punishment. If, on the other hand, you say, you know what, starting today, I'm going to create a culture of personal responsibility, then the focus, the default focus is on repair. So just remember, responsibility is about repair. Uh, blame is about punishment. And so when you, when you, something happens at work, when something goes wrong, when, or something goes right, um, are you the kind of person, are you the kind of supervisor, are you the kind of boss who says, where is the responsibility and how do we repair this? Now, I'm not suggesting we go soft and every kid gets a trophy because, you know, obviously there are consequences sometimes, but is it really about that or should we be saying, how do we repair the situation so that we learn from the situation and the natural consequences occur? So that's why those two are particularly important. Yeah, those are huge. And and I think, too, what most of us, at least where I learned how to supervise people, it was not through a formal training program in the military. It was watching supervisors before me. And most often I saw more of the blame culture and more of, you know, just show up so that you make an impression and this suggests to me a lot more work and a lot more vulnerability. But, uh, you know, my, my company's mission is to create the next great generation of great bosses. So thank you for sharing that, Mike. That's my exactly pleasure. what my folks need to hear. Yeah, good. Well, besides your book, are there any other resources and things you might recommend to the person who is new in the role and doesn't want to screw it up? Yeah, Um then go to my website. Then go to Mike Staver, S-T-A-V-E-R.com. They can click on either coaching, um, speaking, or um, uh, writing, and they can look at the blogs. They can look at my Mondays with Mike. I have some Mondays with Mike. I do three minutes. People mail in questions to me uh, or email. Nobody mails anything. They email questions to me, and I answer them in a video. So those would be great. I have another book, uh, Do You Know How to Shut Up? It's uh, 80, 56 blogs that I wrote, my favorite 56 blogs. That's available as well. And then I have a series of uh, 10 
minute summary video, uh, excuse me, audios on various topics. So um, I call them tips in 20 or tips in 10. Um, tips that I give people on various topics that'll give them quick answers to things like solving problems, building relationships, handling conflict, um, you know, all those kinds of things. And if somebody is uh, working in a company and they're having an upcoming conference and are looking for a speaker, can they connect with you for that through your website as well? Yeah, just go, they can go uh, send something to info at mikestaver.com, or they can just go to the website and click contact Mike and somebody will get in touch with them the same day. That's great. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Uh, I highly recommend this book. The The thing that stood out for me not only was just a, a huge amount of great, really funny stories, but there is a constant bunch of checklists. Here's five things that you can do right now. And so if you are listening to this podcast, go out there, buy the book, contact Mike. He's a great guy. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thank you for having me and, and best of luck in your work, Mac. It's great to reconnect with you and to your audience as well. Well, thanks again to our special guest, Mike Staver. Please get out there and buy that book. You can get it at the Kindle store, the at Amazon. I personally recommend you get it as an audiobook because, again, Mike tells some great stories. You'll really enjoy the read. You know, if you are that boss and realize you need some help, again, we strongly recommend you check out our Boss Builder Academy. You can take our program live on site or you can take our video-based series. It's going to give you the knowledge and skills you need to be a great boss. Well, until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, and boss on. Goodbye. You've been listening to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast with Mac Monroe. To get more information on being a great boss, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or at Mac's blog, macmonroe.com. Until next time, get out there and be a great boss.